Welcome to this week's edition of the Lions Talk Podcast with your hosts, Kevin Lang and Kent Platty. Hey, what's up? We're, we're back. We're going to do a, a draft preview literally 24 hours before the draft. Um, Kent's back and we're going to go over the prospects and uh, just go over... Um, what's going on in the NFL and what's up with the Lions? What's up, Kent? Go ahead and take over. All right, man. Yeah, we're, the Lions are sitting at the 10th overall pick this year, and most of the time that's a good thing in terms of getting talent, but this year there seems to be about a billion people that, that people think could go at 10 or could go much later, could go much earlier. Nobody really has any idea what's going to happen in this draft, and, and it's kind of disheartening. From from an analyst standpoint, from actually going through all this stuff, uh, I did an actual measure of how many people have been drafted or have been mocked to the Lions, and over the last month and a half, there have been 20 different players mocked to the Detroit Lions just at the 10th overall pick, not even counting trades up or down, which is insane. It, it speaks to how, how deep this draft is, and, and it also speaks to how divergent people's opinions are of the players in this draft. Some of the guys that have been mocked to the Lions at 10 have been mocked as far as the the mid-second round. So it's a little insane. Yeah, but there's there's also just a ton of mocks out there. Um, Did you... uh, What were your specific uh, ones that you were looking at? Uh, This was only the major ones and the ones that that I kind of respect as sources. So we're we're looking at ESPN, your NFL.com one, CBS Sports, Fox. And then, of course, the the Lions ones like POD and Sideline Report. Of course, Detroit Lions Draft that I write for and the Silverdome Blues that I write for, uh, just to name a few of the sites that I looked at. But it's going back about a month and a half. So there was still some talk about Sammy Watkins falling to 10 and Khalil Mack falling to 10. Uh, there's actually even one out there from uh, I think it was I think it was one of the SLR ones that had Jadavian Clowney falling all the way to ten. So it's been a pretty wild off season. Yeah, no doubt. Um, man, Sammy Watkins talk just will not quit. Um, even earlier today, uh, it said I read in on Pro Football Talk that. We're still looking to trade up to possibly three, the top three, to uh, take him. Yeah, I've seen anywhere from almost every pick in front of us, actually, to pick up Sammy Watkins, depending on where where the first couple of picks fall. And uh, it's definitely a possibility, but one of the things that's, that's kind of come up late in the late in the process has been the concept of Mike, of um, Evans going before Watkins, which I've had... I've had Evans ranked ahead of, of Watkins pretty much the entire offseason, um, actually the entire offseason, but you know, for national media that hasn't really been the thing, but there's, there was some rumblings early on that some teams had him higher, and it's been spoken of a lot more as of late, and uh, some people are thinking that Sammy Watkins won't even be the first wide receiver pick. They think he's going to be the second wide receiver pick after Evans, who could go as high as two or four, the other one that people think he could go. Uh, so that's actually it's actually a legitimate possibility that Sammy Watkins falls to the Lions at ten, depending how, how, on how things shape up in those first nine picks. Boy, that'd be great. I I don't know. I'm 
on the fence about trading up. It depends on what we have to give up to get Watkins. I think uh, I think he'd help prolong Calvin's career. I think obviously he'd help our offense. I think it'd be a great addition, but I just don't know um, how much it'll take to move up to get him. And that's what really comes down to is cost. I mean, you're, you're looking at, people tend to look at the worst case scenario as the, the Falcons trade. Of course, they traded from much further down to get Julio Jones, but you know, the, the best case scenario is trading just a third round pick to move up to maybe even four, um, which isn't very likely, but it's a possibility considering the, the recent trades that have happened in the first round and how deep this draft is. People just want more picks. And there are some teams that are just desperate to move down, Oakland being one of them, Cleveland's another one that just wants to stockpile picks. So the possibility of somebody moving down for what, at least by comparison, would be a discount is actually fairly high. So, uh, did you see the news about Richard Sherman's contract? Yes, and he deserves he deserves every penny of it. Um, I, I'm wondering if, if uh, our old friend Drew Sharp is kind of regretting the article that he wrote about Endowment and Sue earlier this offseason about how the Seahawks aren't paying their marquee players after they made uh, uh, Earl Thomas the highest-paid safety and then now Richard Sherman the highest-paid cornerback in the NFL. Uh, that's what happens when you have good players. You end up having to pay them, and Sherman definitely deserves the contract that he got, and hopefully he continues to make that money for the Seahawks, with the exception of times they play Detroit. Yeah, I mean, but $40 million guaranteed on a four-year uh, extension, that that's mind-blowing. Um, it equals out to about $14.5 million a year, which is... He, he is worth it, no doubt about it. But man, it just the prices just keep going up. It's like uh, the supermarket. It, it, exactly, it is. The prices are going to keep going up too. That's why whenever you hear something like, "Oh, and Dominic Sue wants to be made the highest paid defensive tackle in the league," it's like, yeah, that's he's going to be that for like a year, and then Gerald McCoy will get his contract, and he'll be the highest paid defensive tackle. You know, it, it, it goes that way. That's the way the NFL works. People get bigger contracts every year, and it's only going to get worse with the new TV deals with the, the cap space going up by, like, $10 million a year. You want to jump into that? Let's jump into the Sioux trade talk. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been going on pretty much the entire beginning of the offseason, and, and it's never... It's never to me really been a, a possibility. The Lions are going to take way too much of a hit to actually get rid of Sue. Anywhere between nine and, and nineteen million that they would take as a, as a, a cap penalty to trade him. Um, let alone trying to get value for him. One of the things that people think is, well, you just trade what they're worth. But teams also have to pick up that contract, and that goes into those trade negotiations. You know, you pick up a guy that's that's got this massive contract sitting there then they're not going to be as willing to, to give up that type of draft resource to pick up that type of player. You know, the, what also gets lost is that there has to be a buyer in, in, in terms of, of picking up a trade partner as well. It's not just about who wants to sell. So I've never gotten into the whole uh, Indomitian who wants to leave Detroit thing. I think that some fans just kind of got it in their head that he really wanted out, and it's never really been... There hasn't really been a whole lot of substance to that. He's he's an NFL player. He's got a contract. He's a businessman. He, he owns several businesses, so he, he knows how to work the system. And he's part of a system where that's part of 
the, the way things work. People get contracts when they play them. He's a four-time All-Pro in four years. Yeah, um, he's never came out and said one way or the other if he wants to stay. Um, I could see a team like Jacksonville who made a run at Alex Mack, a center, um, I could see them possibly trading for him, um, because they got a lot of cap room and they got a ton of needs, um, and that's where it becomes a problem because a lot of the teams that have the cap room to pick up Sue, they need their draft picks. I mean, you talk about Jacksonville, who definitely needs to pick up a marquee player in this draft. They have one of the highest draft picks, third overall. And you have Oakland, who has a ridiculous amount of cap space that they have to spend. They could, they could absorb Sue's contract like nothing, but Oakland, again, has fewer draft picks because of the mistakes they've made recently. So they need their draft picks to try to pick up whatever marquee players that they can and build depth. Uh, yeah. The same thing's true with Cleveland. Even though Cleveland has extra first-round picks and, and, and I think second-round picks, you know they're they're a team that that needs to pick up players in the draft and has to get stronger with some younger players. And giving up their high picks for that is not something that teams do that readily when they when they're in rebuilding mode. Yeah, no, I don't see uh, Sue being traded this week and this during the draft. I I don't see that, but I I do see. A possibility of him being traded in like uh, July or August if uh, if he does not work out I hear he wants Mario Williams hundred million dollar type uh, contract and <clears throat> excuse me and I just I'm uh, sure that's what he's saying he wants <laughs> hey that's not how the market works <laughs> well I didn't think it would be that way for Williams either. Uh, yeah. I didn't think it'd be that way for Albert Hainsworth either. Um, so there w there might be teams out there willing to uh, give him the money that he wants. And my biggest fear is that uh, we we keep him, we play him, he walks, we get nothing except a compensatory pick and that's it I mean you can't let someone that valuable uh, you can't franchise him because he has an opt out so you have what to get really something down for him to, I mean, it, it is a legitimate possibility and, and it's not as big of a possibility as I think people think it is but when Sue signed his, his uh, contract last year, when he restructured to give the Lions more cap space, he basically ensured that he was staying in Detroit. But Detroit's going to offer him the same total contract value that he's going to get from anywhere else. It's, the, the total contract that he can command is not going to be different in Detroit than it is in, say, Jacksonville or Cleveland or wherever else they try to offer him a contract. The total contract value is pretty much going to be the same no matter where he goes. What it boils down to, though, is the amount of guarantees that he's going to get, the cash money that he's going to get. And with $19 million left in guarantees sitting on his contract, he, he can make more money in Detroit, straight cash, than he can make anywhere else on the same contract over the same amount of time. And, and that's why it kind of guaranteed that he was going to sign an extension this year by his restructuring the past couple of years, because he basically put Detroit in a position where they have to offer him more cash than anybody else could possibly do. 
it, it, it gives you a lot of leverage in the contract negotiations, which of course you don't want. But all the same, it puts Detroit in a position where they have to make him an offer that is going to be better than any offer he can get. So as much as you want to say it's about the money, if it really does come down to just the money, then he's staying in Detroit. Right. Well, we'll see how that all works out. Uh, like I said, I'm not into trading uh, great players, so I hope it doesn't happen. Um, but if it does, I'd rather get something than have them leave for nothing. Um, with that said, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, a kid like Nick Fairley traded uh, during this draft. I don't think the coaching staff believes in him. And um, I, I just think he shows up far too infrequently and inconsistently for, uh, for a big-time player. I, I think that we should just, uh, I think we should trade him and try to get some picks from him. And it's another situation where it, it really just comes down to the market. I mean, if the Lions were to trade fairly, they're not going to get fair market value for a former first-round pick. They're, they're going to get a lower mid-round pick. And they're not going to be willing to give up Fairley for that amount. The market is going to dictate the cost, and the cost for Fairley is just not going to be high enough, given his injury history, to really, to really warrant any kind of a beneficial trade to the Lions. And well, one of the things that that really got me excited when we when we picked up Terrell Austin as our defensive coordinator is how much somebody like Nick Fairley actually fits into his system. With the amount of internal blitzing and, and edge blitzing that Terrell Austin does. Having somebody like Fairley that can just, you know, even even if it's only on occasion, you might know you might only need him to do it on occasion. Just have him go and disrupt stuff in space. He can do that and open up those lanes for those blitzers without having to draw those those defensive holding penalties, like uh, London Fletcher got against the Lions last year. You know, he can open up those lanes and and get those blitzers through and cause pressure without without having to rush any more than four or five people. That's a that's a good point. Um, but just in a hypothetical, say uh, say we're sitting there and we got uh, what do we have? The fortieth pick also. Forty fifth or forty sixth? Yeah, forty fifth, forty sixth. Um, say one of these guys. Let's say uh, Jimmy Ward is still available. Uh, come, come Friday. Now you're, you're plucking my heartstrings now. I know it. I, I know it. Say, say, <laughs> say, uh, Jimmy Ward, if Jimmy Ward lasts that far, and I, I, I'm on record as saying I don't think he does. He's my highest rated defensive back. I have him as my 13th overall player. If Jimmy Ward lasts to the 45th pick and the Lions don't take him, I'm going to need to buy a new television. No, I'm, I'm saying he lasts till the second day. Uh, the second round, um, say the Lions, Lions want him, know that, uh, they don't have the ammunition to move up, uh, and they wind up, uh, throwing in a player like Fairley, who's on the last year of his deal, um, to take a guy like that, would you be alright with that? Yeah, you're putting me in a tough spot with that one, but 
I mean, any any high as much as I personally, yeah, I would jump all over that. You know, I'm all about Jimmy Ward, and the value there would be just so high, it would be way more than worth it. But it really does come down to value, and and you're talking about trading somebody that's worth maybe a mid round pick at this point, and trying to find somebody that would be willing to trade for him with his his contract. You have to remember he's he's gone the last year of his rookie contract, so it's a higher cap hit. Teams aren't going to be willing to trade. To, even if we threw in our, our other second round pick for that, you know, it, it's it's going to be like throwing a, a mid or late mid rounder in with that pick, and that's not the amount of ammunition you need to move up that far. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. Question. Yeah, absolutely. What I would totally draft up. I would totally trade up for Jimmy Ward. Let's see. I'm looking at my board right now. Um. Boy, there's just a lot of guys who I got ranked uh, not quite uh, blue chip prospect, but secondary prospects. Man, they're all over the place. Uh, yeah, the, the second tier of this draft is pretty pretty enormous, and and you know, for for me, my second tier starts right around the 15th or 16th pick. I think I have, I'd have 14 or 15, I think, I forget the exact number, but my actual blue chip guys and guys that I, I would draft at the very top of the draft with no hesitation. Um, but, but after that, you have quite a few players, and it, it bleeds all the way into the third round, the amount of players that you can take and, and still be comfortable with that pick at any point in the second round. All right, let me, let me give you, uh, uh, let's see, four names, five names. Um, possible grooming for, um, a backup quarterback. Mettenberger, Murray, McCarron, Logan Thomas, Tom Savage. Uh, I would actually put Mettenberger out. Uh, I think he's got the talent. He's the right, he's the right person to put behind Stafford if you look just at raw skill. Uh, what it comes down to with Mettenberger is everything that's going on off the field. He's got a lot of off-field concerns and it was recently reported, I think today or yesterday afternoon, that he has some sort of back issue that's, that's potentially going to keep him out. He has to be closely monitored, mon, um, monitored medically. Uh, that's not that's not something that's going to put him very high on my list. Uh, A.J. McCarron has a horrible attitude to be a backup. He's got the skill set to be a good backup and that's, that's nice. You want that. But the attitude that you have to have to be able to play second fiddle and understand what your responsibilities are is, is not the kind of player that McCarron is. Uh, Logan Thomas, there are a million things that I could do with Logan Thomas if I were in charge of that offense uh, because I love trick plays and I love the kinds of things that you can do there. But he's, he's a career underachiever. He's a ridiculous athlete. It's, it's not even funny how much of an athlete that he is, especially considering his size. But I'm not, I'm not sure what you do with him, and I'm not sure that he's the kind of person that wants to learn. One of the biggest concerns about Thomas is his, his attitude and his ability to be coached. Um, I'm not a Savage guy. Uh, Savage was a backup in, in Rutgers, and, and you know, the, the type of quarterback that Tom Savage was could really have been used by Pittsburgh this year. Um, they could have used a quarterback like Tom Savage on their team, and they didn't have that. They had a guy who has the worst pocket awareness of anybody I've seen in several years. He's just not that guy. He's perfect to, to groom. You draft him really late and try to hope that you can get the jitters out of him, but 
you know, the, the amount of hype that he's gotten right now, I think somebody jumps way too early on Savage. Um, so really it kind of comes down to Murray for me. Murray and Thomas, the, the, one of those two, I think. Let me, excuse me. Let me throw in one other name, Taj Boyd. I would take Taj Boyd in a heartbeat in the mid-round. There's a lot of things that Taj did right. He was very smart in staying in school. He, he had an opportunity to come out in the draft last year, and he opted to stay in school. That was extremely smart. He wasn't able to capitalize in it. He didn't build on the things that he had done right the previous season. Uh, the team regressed in general. It's mostly due to him, which is not good. But I still think there's enough there to groom as a backup. I think that you'd have a, a capable backup that you could have on your team for years that could come in and, and not necessarily win you games, but keep you from losing them. I think that he's, he's a good enough player to do that. All right, um, let's talk about defensive ends. It's pretty sl- – uh, sl- that's probably the, the, the weakest position in this draft. Um, <clears throat> what defensive ends do you like? You know, I'm I'm a huge fan of Coney Ealy, and I don't know why. It's kind of a, a weird situation for me with Ealy. He eats up a lot of space, and I usually don't like players like that. That's always been my concern with Willie Young. He's an almost player. He almost makes plays. But, you know, one of the problems that, that Ealy had was that he was basically alone on that Missouri line uh, all this year. I mean, Michael Sam got a lot of the accolades because of the sacks that he got, but if you go back and watch those sacks, like I did when I went to watch Sam, you're drawn to what Ely's doing. He's pulling all the people over. He's, he's making the pocket collapse. He's pushing the quarterback right into Sam's arms. There's a lot of stuff that I think Ely would be able to do on a defensive line like the Lions, but I'm, I'm hesitant to really say that I like him as a prospect any more than that just because he, he is an almost player. He's somebody that almost makes plays all the time. Uh, outside of him, there really isn't a whole lot going on at the defensive end position. It is a very weak, weak, weak draft at that position. Yeah, um, the kid I like is from Stanford. I can't really pronounce his last name, Crichton, or something like that. Uh, he's just got, he's a, got a constant motor, and uh, he reminds me a lot of a, a Jared Allen type. Um, I don't know. I'd take a flyer on him. And I think the Lions are going to look at another defensive end. They like to keep five or six on the roster. Uh, guys that can play swing, that's another thing that, to keep in mind that they love their defensive ends that can also play tackle. So that's that's another thing to look out for when, when they are looking for a pass rusher on the outside. All right. Uh, let's talk about running backs. Um, I see only two possible guys who uh, could really help us and give us uh, some lightning to our thunder that we already have. That'd be Dree Archer and DeAnthony Thomas. Uh, Thomas had a a horrible pro day, or a horrible uh, scouting combine. He ran a 4-5 there, but at his pro day he ran a 4-3 twice, and uh, that that's more in line with the type of player that he's shown at Oregon. Um, I think that you could probably get him in, you know, the fourth, maybe the fifth round. Um, well, the Lions don't have a fifth round pick, so we'd have to take him in the fourth. Yeah, they got three fourths, though. <laughs> but uh, 
Archer or uh, Thomas, I think, would provide some home run hitting ability to our backfield. Other than that, do you uh, know of anyone in this draft that, that could do that? You know, I started looking at a lot of the speedier guys because I was thinking along the same lines. The Lions need somebody that can go in if Reggie Bush goes down with injury, but we found out today that Joyce Bell got injured during camp and is dealing with a knee injury right now, and they're not sure of the severity of it or how long it's going to take to bounce back. It's new, so it could be it could be minor. But the Lions have spent a, a little bit of time this offseason taking a look at power backs and guys that can play on the inside and run between the tackles, and I think that that's where they're going to go. Um, Oh, it's the guy, Calisero, another guy with a hard to pronounce name, uh, from one of the, I think, Coastal Carolina, one of those schools, uh, is one of the options that they've been looking at. Um, they've spent several, they've spent enough time looking at fullbacks and guys that are real power hitters. You know, I think that they were looking more for somebody that can take that Mark Ingram role that Lombardi had in New Orleans, if they're not sure that, that LaShore can do that. Um, they're still hoping that, that Joyce Bell can take that Pierre Thomas role and Reggie can take the Reggie role. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, definitely looking at, at both Three Archer and DeAnthony Thomas. I think Three Archer's the better of the two, but his size is, is a real concern. He's very small for a player, but his, his speed is just ridiculous. Three Archer, I, I, I've said it a million times, he's the elbow drop of this, of this, this draft class. He's the most electrifying player in all of college football entertainment. Yeah, both guys are pretty small. Archer a little smaller. Um, so, really, you, you think we're going to try to look for more of a power back anyway, huh? I think I think that's what they're looking for. They, they haven't spent a whole lot of time looking at running backs during the offseason, but the ones that they have spent time on have been more of, of that variety. Um, what other positions do you see us going after targeting? We already talked about it a little bit with the first round pick, but I think the Lions are going to draft two wide receivers. If not drafting two, they're going to look at undrafted free agency to look for more wide receivers. Uh, one of the big hip names right now, and I've, I've, I've talked about him before, and, and I'm sure I'm not the first person who's mentioned him as a sleeper prospect, but Jeff Janis is a local prospect from Saginaw Valley State. Uh, I've been doing a lot of work on, on athletic metrics using measurements and things like that to try to get a, 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 a objective number that you can place on somebody's athletic ability based on averages. And the only receiver, you'll get a kick out of this, the only receiver that graded higher than Jeff Janis did is Calvin Johnson. And that's pretty ridiculous. Wow. That's what I said. <laughs> You're talking about a guy that's 6'3", 200, and ran a 4'4", in the 40, and measured above average in almost every, actually in every category, not just almost, in every category, he measured above average, and not just a little bit above average, but quite a bit above average. He's very, very raw, and God, you should see the crappy corners he played against in college. But, uh, you know, it's, it's somebody that's going to take time to develop, but if the Lions spend a, a mid-round pick on Jeff Janis, I think it's a, a player that, that they will never regret taking it, at least giving a chance on it. Yeah, um, I like Janis. I do. Um, man, what a weird last name. Anyways, um... <laughs> Another player that I wanted to mention that, that I looked at recently was Jarek McKinnon. Uh, he's a running back 
who uh, actually graded out as the highest rated player on that, that metric that I use um, for all running backs in the last decade, which is really weird. For running back, it's a little different because there you have your power backs and your ski backs. The numbers that you're really looking at are different. But from an overall perspective, you have this guy that's big, he's strong, he's fast, he changes direction well. Uh, he has decent vision. It's, it's probably not the strongest area of his game. But this is a player that, another player that I'd probably take a mid-round flyer on to, to develop into, into a better running back. He's just got all the tools that he needs. He's got a fantastic toolbox to turn into a good runner in the NFL. What school is he from? I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay, you McKinnon? McKinnon. Okay. Um, going back to the receiver talk, man, I don't know. I just, I really like Kevin Norwood, the Alabama receiver. He's just uh, very sure-handed. He reminds me of the prototype of uh, possession receiver that we have been missing. Um, yeah, he's a he's a Steve Smith from the Giants and the Eagles type of player. Um, he's he's got good speed. He's got great hands. He's got good route running ability. He he has the intelligence to find those little spots in the in the zones. He, he's a very good player. Uh, there's some knocks upon on Norwood for his health. Um, I, I don't think there's any red flags on him for coachability or, or attitude or anything like that. But he's one of those guys that's going to fly under the radar. Uh, he's just kind of around average in most areas. So he's not going to get a whole lot of hype. But you're, you're right. He's somebody that can contribute immediately and, and can contribute in multiple ways on an offense. Also like uh, Heron from uh, Wyoming. I think he's... I think he's pretty good, but it's hard to tell because of uh, the competition he played against. Right, and and Heron's one of those guys that has a lot of a lot of fans and a lot of detractors. Uh, a, a lot like Cody Latimer for the same reasons. He's he's got a lot of people that really like his tape, that like his measurables, that like the things that they've seen from him. But the level of competition that he played against makes it really hard to evaluate players. And some of the times you have guys that look at those one or two plays that they really should have made that they don't. And that's what they really latch on to. And that's kind of what happened with Heron uh, and, and Latimer as well, for people that don't like him. Is this, that the, the times that they don't make plays and they should just as you talk in your head to the side, like, really? <clears throat> All right, a uh, couple, uh, couple things and we'll wrap it up. Um, I know you don't like Anthony Barr. At least you didn't. I don't know. Has that changed? Nope. You, He's only played defense it's not, for. It's not that I don't like Anthony Barr. I, I just don't have him. I don't have him way high up on my board. I have him in the in the high second round. He's an he's an athletic player. He's he's got a lot of really good things going from a tool standpoint. But looking at it from a, a four three, which the Lions run, I just don't know what you do with him. He's he's not a good enough pass rusher to play a four three DN. And he's not a good enough linebacker to throw in even at Sam. So I, I just don't know what you do with him if you throw him into the Lions defense. So for me, he's a second-round pick. He's somebody that you have to pick and put behind somebody and let learn for a couple of years, pay dividends down the road. Okay, say uh, we're still at – we don't move anywhere. We're at 10. Um, no cornerbacks have been taken. Who do you take? Uh, not a cornerback. <laughs> uh, 
my highest rated cornerback is in the, the low twenties, so I, I wouldn't I still wouldn't pick a cornerback if there's a cornerback there. Um I'd still be looking at linebackers if I could. One of the guys that I know a lot of people have rated quite a bit lower is, is Ryan Shazier. Um Shazier is probably right on par, at least close to the athleticism that Barr has. He's a lot smaller. That's why he's not rated higher. But from from an actual work standpoint, you're going to get a player that can play anywhere in the, in the defensive front seven uh, and from a linebacker position. Play any of the linebacker positions. He can edge rush. He can rush up the middle. He can play coverage. He can trail your tight ends if you need to. He's good in pursuit. Yeah, he's not going to be a whole lot of help on third and two when you're trying to stuff a run, but you know he's he's the kind of guy that can really jump in and pretty much play anywhere and start from day one. And the the type of presence that he would bring to a locker room like the Lions is just phenomenal. He's one of the best stories of the draft. Uh, the type of person that he is, the type of player that he is, what he brings to a team. He's a player that I'd, I'd seriously consider there. Uh, another player that would be probably a reach even even for me is Kyle Van Noy. I've, I've rated him a lot higher. Um, than some people have. Some people think he's going to fall all the way to us in the second round. I, I don't think so. At the very worst, he's going to be a late first-round pick, I think. But he's the exact opposite of Shazier. Not, not the greatest athlete in the world, but a very smart player, and he can do it all. He can play any of the linebacker positions. He's very good at rushing. He's got a very good uh, rapport with Ziggy Ansah. They were roommates at BYU. Um, he's a player that I, I'd have to at least look at there. One player that I, I've mentioned several times that I, I wouldn't look at anymore is C.J. Mosley, the linebacker from Alabama. Uh, I actually had Mosley mocked to the Lions in one of my mock drafts, but I've been hearing a lot of chatter about some injury issues that he had. He's had four surgeries in the past couple of years. Um, he's fallen down a lot of draft boards, and, and I'm not talking just a little bit down the first round. I'm talking possible third round, uh, even further for a tumble for him for his injury issues. Um but I'd consider both of those linebackers before I consider the cornerback. Uh, if, if you're trying to push me to actually get a cornerback, <laughs> uh, I'd have to pick Kyle Fuller from Virginia Tech. It's Corey Fuller's uh, younger brother. Uh, he's the most polished of the three top-tier cornerbacks. He's a much better athlete than Bernard is, not as good of an athlete as Gilbert is. Um, he's a lot more polished than Gilbert is, but not quite as polished as Bernard is. So you kind of get the best of both worlds with him, but not quite the greatest player that you could get between the three if you were to, to min-max your options there. Uh, Gilbert would be the second one. He fits the Lions scheme. He's super athletic. He can play both man and zone. He can play off coverage, which is essential in the Lions scheme. Uh, and, and then Denard after that, because Denard can't play off coverage very well. He's very much a press man corner. Uh, he's not the greatest athlete. He relies on his smarts a lot. But the Lions don't want a scheme that requires the team to press much, and they won't keep their corners on the line very often, and those are what you need to do with Bernard. So. All right, well, um, I think we've covered most every everyone, every position. Uh, if there's anyone that you want to talk about, go ahead. Um, I really don't have much else to say. Uh I'm just ready for this thing to get going. And I'm seeing reports now that uh, they're talking about wanting to push it back a week or two longer next year. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to die. It's not going to work. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's tough being this way. I, I 
was actually looking forward to it being this late, but with everything else that's been going on, this draft season has been crushing me. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, one, one more player I wanted to hit up really quick because I, I, I think there's a legitimate possibility the Lions pick him up in the second round is uh, Kevin Pierre Lewis. He's a linebacker at FSU. Uh, he actually graded out as the highest F, uh, RES, which is my athletic skill, um, in this draft and one of the highest in the past decade for a linebacker. He's very raw. He's got a lot of rough edges to his game. But I think if he's sitting there in the second round, and the Lions really want a linebacker. They don't go linebacker or defense. They get a receiver with their first pick. And this, this linebacker is still sitting there in the second round. I think they seriously consider picking him up. He's often rated in the mid-third-round range, but I think that he might get picked up a lot higher due to his measurables. And it's not something we should be concerned about if they do. He's going to take a little more time to develop, but his upside is way higher than I think people give him credit for. All right, awesome. Well, uh... Hey, I'm I'm glad that you're able to join us again. Um, go ahead and tell the new listeners uh, where to go uh, as far as for their Lions uh, Lions needs that you write for. I, I write primarily for the SilverDomeBlues.com. Uh, I also write for DetroitLionsDraft.com and a couple other websites that I'll be contributing to shortly, which I'll be posting those links up on Kent's Corner on Facebook and uh, Math Bomb on Twitter. So uh, look for it, and hopefully I'll have some more good metric stuff up and a bunch of measurable stuff up, and I, I will have it updated much earlier than the day before the draft next season. All right, awesome. So uh, we'll try to get back together either Sunday or Monday around then, and... Uh, Discuss who the lines actually took and how the draft actually played out. Great. Look forward to it. All right, Kent. Take it easy, buddy. Thank you. Later. See you later. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Lions Talk Podcast. Go Lions! Bring up.